Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 have a plan for your life. You've set goals. You know where you want to go. Congratulations on finding Star Style. Be the star you are. Our vibrant hosts, passion, purpose, and possibility producer Cynthia Bryan and her energetic daughter, healthy living specialist Heather Brittany, share the best roads, fastest detours, and successful strategies for a life worth living. Reach your potential with their personal achievement coaching, miracle moments, inspiring guests, titillating interviews, and business bites. Be introduced to new books and innovative ideas that encourage you to live a positive, sustainable lifestyle while achieving your dreams. Ignite your power, make a difference in the world, and shoot for the stars. It's the power hour of living, loving, laughing, and learning. On Star Style, be the star you are. Lend us your ears. The party starts now. Never say never. Live your dream. Well, don't you just love our weekly power parties? Hello, power partners. <laughs> Welcome to our informational playground. This is Star Style, be the star you are. It's brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. And we're your hosts. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And we are coming to you live on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity, honored as a top nonprofit by GuideStar. You can make a donation at BeTheStarYouAre.org. And this is from Paul Gauguin. I shut my eyes in order to see. You have to think about that one. (laughs) That's a good one. I shut my eyes in order to see. Well, coming up in the show, we have a really great show for you today. Prolific mystery author Stephen Yanoff is going to recreate a chilling tale of American politics with his book, The Second Morning, and he's coming up right in our second segment. In our third segment, we wonder if you know how to uh, to look at the signals of body language. If you're in a meeting, are you paying attention to the signs that could indicate engagement or receptivity or disagreement? So we're going to take a look at you from head to toe. And coming up right now in Health Matters, Heather is going to talk about how food and new studies are indicating that our gastrointestinal tract acts like a second brain and the nerve cells can actually produce these mood-modulating hormones. So, Heather, I understand that we can eat our way to happy or we can wake up in a bad mood and it could be all related to what we had for dinner the night before. Oh, completely. And, you know, it's as you widely know that food, um, you know, your mood, excuse me, what I meant to say is your mood can uh, trigger different cravings. And altogether, too, it can also make it so you're not hungry at all. When times we're going through sadness or, or depression or anger, 
um, when, you know, we're almost retired, we have no appetite. And other times, you know, we're, we're missing, we're craving, um, you know, that comfort food or sometimes, you know, other things just get the best of us. And that's very true when it comes to how when we go to sleep. Uh, it's not even just the pillow you sit on, it's what the, that you sleep on, it's what you're eating at night. And just as you said, is that in essence we really do have two brains. And one when it comes to your mental health, your actual brain, and the other one which is in your gut. And interestingly enough, that same tissue that made up your stomach during the fetal development process, they are actually made up of the same, uh, the same tissue to begin with. Um, and these two systems that are connected, it's through your vagus nerve. So similar to uh, sometimes people, you know, they feel, they feel hungry um, or, you know, they overeat. Well, the one main thing is we know a lot of times we haven't eaten all day, we eat something, we eat a lot, and then it takes about 20 minutes so all of a sudden we feel so full. Or other times you just eat a little. That's why many diets get curve on this whole thing of eating properly. But getting back to just how our moods affect us and the foods that we eat, sometimes if you've ever woken up in the morning and you feel irritable or you feel, you know, gross, a lot of times if you just feel you didn't get a good sleep, it could probably be of what you've eaten. And so the first thing is irritable and negative. Um, Evanesine seems a lot of times sign of heartburn, stomach acid, um, things entering, you know, your esophagus. You hear a lot about this uh, acid reflux. Um, there's also bioreflux. There's all these kinds of things um, that affect our stomach that sometimes can almost make you feel like heart attacks, just pains in your stomach, pains throughout your chest. Um, a food fix for things, avoid heartburning causing foods. Um, things like fast foods, sugars. We are on this whole Western diet that's really uh, sort of upset, um, or throwing our whole system out of things. The main things that seem to be in American diets are these genetically modified foods, um, which a lot of times there's you know, many studies being out of what if it's kind of alternating um, our biochemistry, but high, fo- high fructose um, corn syrup diets, high sugars, as you know, you have the highs and the lows of that, and that can be something, too, of, of depression. Um, we've just discussed in other episodes before talking about, you know, foods in the morning time, you know, they kind of get you going, and a lot of times people reach for sugary thing because when you haven't eaten during the night, your body, the first thing, your sugar levels um, are out of whack, so a lot of times people instantly want a sugary thing that might give you that quick boost, but then you get that downfall. You get, you know, that afternoon slump, that, you know, 11 o'clock slump. So same thing when it happens with sugars. That's why a lot of people feel really depressed, really upset afterwards. Your body's using up all this energy, and then it's not really using calorie energy of, you know, we're using your, uh, boosting your metabolic rate. It's just sugars, and that's why sometimes people feel nervous or jittery. So a big thing, too, is eating light and fresh foods. We, we cannot stress enough, especially with all the different times in fall and winter, eating seasonally. Uh, I was just recently looking at a magazine, and they had this great thing. It was like Santa Barbara of fresh eating. It was something I think I got at the farmer's market or something. Um, but the great thing, it was talking about all the different things in season, and it laid out, you know, these things are in November. These things are in um, spring. These things are in June. And that one is going to help you price-wise, but also eating healthier, just getting the most, you know, far, most farmed table foods are going to be the most energy boosting. Um, So are you saying like, you know, people love to have that bowl of ice cream while they're watching television before going to bed. That could literally 
set off you um, having some kind of an episode the next morning where you just have too much sugar in your system well, and you just yeah, don't feel well, good. Exactly. And, you know, and that's something, too. I know a lot of times I know someone, I am so bad about one of my things I need to get is I am a late night eater. My husband and I, we are so bad. We have fourth meal till we will go out to dinner and then we will come home and we're like, let's eat something else. Um, and I'm a pretty healthy person. So I, you know, I try to graze throughout the day and, you know, eat healthier foods. Um, but I definitely eat late in the night, which there's sort of various things about it. But the one thing is, um, I know is affecting if you eat heavier meals or different things, if you go to bed with a really full stomach, I, I know times that this is big for people, um, is, you know, after, uh, holiday parties, Thanksgiving, Super Bowl, when you've, you've kind of eaten a lot of food, um, you'll have nightmares or really weird, bizarre dreams. And a lot of times people say, oh, what did you eat last night? Well, that's I have had that very often and that's usually after a big meal for sure exactly. and usually it's after a holiday meal exactly and and the thing with that is is that what happens when your body is full is that all your energy i mean your your body though is so amazing but it really has to figure out dividing up its time that's why different systems take over and when you eat a big meal that's why a lot of times people for example you know they always talk about uh, tryptophan or tryptophan that's in chicken and turkey that that's why people feel so full after thanksgiving well the real thing is because you don't normally eat that much in real life um, as well, I don't know how we got this free pass of Thanksgiving and being this day that we just gluttonize ourselves, but that's why people get so full, they, and they get tired. I know the times when I have, you know, for whatever reason, I've been able to eat all day, and I get home, and I just eat, eat, and all of a sudden, I feel exhausted, and I haven't done anything, and before, I know, you know, I'm falling asleep just from eating food, and that's because all, when you fill up your stomach, then all the blood is rushing down there, and your body's thinking, okay, this is the activity we need to work on now, so when you go to sleep with a full stomach, and especially not um, with, you know, healthy things, when it's sort of, you know, hard sugars, hot spicy things, hard to digest things, your body is going to digest, um, is going to put all of its energy into digesting, but as we know, when we're in a stagnant state, we're not, we don't have, we're not burning as many calories, so it's going to take a lot of time, so that's why your brain waves are going to get off, and that's so, a lot of times, I know I have the weirdest, most bizarre, sometimes nightmares when I have a full stomach, especially with something that's upsetting my stomach. And and that's something too. Sometimes people wake up angry. Um, these can be signs of irritable bowel system if you have, you know, different gas effects of what you eat. Um, things with that is avoiding gas foods altogether. And sometimes they're secret culprits of healthy food. Um, for example, I love cauliflower and broccoli and Brussels sprouts, but those are gas-filled foods. Um, it's something a really interesting. But they uh, are good I, for you. Even though they're, they're gas-filled, they're, good they're very you. good for so, you. They're and they're cancer fighting. You. But but um, my thing is, um, but these can affect your stomach. This can upset your sleep and then upset your stomach. So a lot of time, I'm saying there you can find um, sort of simpler ways. To eat. So one. Um, Health, those are those are fantastic healthy foods, but they are also triggers um, for you know harder 
to eat of, of gas within your stomach and things that when you have an upset stomach, which is going to make it hard for you to sleep, thus making you upset and angry and not having a good day. When you don't sleep well, the next day is not very productive. Um, with that, because they have these natural gas things, and I actually remember doing this really fun, fun or interesting science project when we were kids, is taking um, these vegetables and you put them in a Ziploc bag and you see how literally the bag over time of just leaving it will fill up with the, because of the dioxide that it's, it's releasing, these gases, these natural gases. So um, as a late-night snack, if someone, if you are a late-night eater, and the best thing, you know, to say taking you know, a warm glass of milk or, you know, having some berries or vegetables, something that is going to satisfy you but have, you know, that's uh, healthy for you. Be careful because if you reach for, you know, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, I know that sounds like a weird thing, um, but maybe you've cooked them deliciously, uh, that can actually upset your sleep. So one thing if cauliflower or broccoli is steaming them, adding new things, and then pureeing them, having that in that smooth way, that's going to help your body digest them um, at a better thing. If you're going to have... Um, if you're going to have those ones in whole, um, I would recommend taking those things like Beano's or some B4 to avoid the gas because the gas is one of the things that's going to keep you, normally even if you're not up at the night, your stomach's going to be working overtime. Um, foods that can actually enhance your mood, help you wake up better. Um, eating, it's, it's funny to think that, I mean, you really have to have everything in life. Of, of you know, a, a spiritual running, I don't mean that in a religious way. I mean, finding that time to meditate, find that thing in the day that, have you be your zen. Maybe it's being in the garden. Maybe it's looking at the beach. Maybe it's reading a book. Having that moment, that time for yourself, getting physical activity, and then eating properly and eating the right things. So things we always get into in moderation, of course, always. Um, dark chocolate, as in we've always talked about the antioxidants in it. Um, having just a little piece of it, people say it's a feel-good aspect um, of the antioxidants. And I'm so happy that dark chocolate has made it onto the list that we can have it. <laughs> Because not only does it taste good, but it is good for us. And that's, that was a nice finding. Yeah, um, another thing, protein. And again, a high-quality source of protein, like organic eggs. Um, even just, again, moderation. I'm not saying cheese, but like a good slice of Gouda, a small, you know, um, a one-ounce piece, a handful of almonds. Things high protein like that helps keep your blood sugar um, steady, and thus that enhances mood levels. When we say that when your blood sugar spikes or goes down, that's when people start to get all over the place. Another thing is bananas. Bananas can't contain dopamine, which is, in another word, that's a natural. Um, our body naturally makes um, endorphin, endorphins and dopamine. And those are our feel-good things. Um, they're also rich in B vitamins. We've talked about B vitamins before. B6, um, that helps you soothe your nervous system. And they have, they're rich in magnesium um, as well as potassium. And those are things that are going to regulate your sodium levels. And they're, they're heart healthy too. And the, an interesting thing, you know, they're talk about the hangover cure. But they're good for that because, again, it's another thing that's going to help regulate the sugar in your blood, which these are the sugar levels. Um, in the American diet, we are getting this astronomical amount now, um, and there's really no way of, of going back. I know someone recently is all excited on this crazy diet. It sounds something way too extreme for me, but and I like the 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 down, the sort of the end thing of it is the whole point is to reset your uh, metabolic thing. So it's some crazy thing like 600 calories a day, which I don't know how she's doing it, but you are eliminating all these things basically to reset your body so you're no longer eating these um, processed foods. And then you start bringing in a normal, healthy amount. 
but we're so used to having something. I mean, you can't, you don't know you miss something if you've never had it, but once you've had something, it's really hard to get off those systems. And we know it's so easy to make a bad habit than to make a good one. Um, well, these are thing. all fantastic tips because we definitely don't want to wake up in the morning and not feel good. So to know that food can really make a difference, and it's the right foods. So basically, we're, uh, we're running out of time, uh, as we always do. To sum it up is if we eat the foods that are fresh in season, that will really, that will really help. And try not to eat so late at night. Is, that's another one. And can you just give some other things that can trigger your negative emotions? Yeah, my biggest things, processed foods, gluten, and sugar, especially late at night. They're going to be in everything, but sugar is your main downfall. Sugar can lead to fluctuations in your blood sugar, which bring to mood swings and is a poor role in all your mental health. So as even though we might want that uh, you know, sugary dessert after dinner, maybe reach for some fruit or spice up your fruit with putting a little whipped cream or something. Find a healthier or alternative. Never um, keep these things far away. I always enjoy life, but again, sugar, gluten, processed foods are going to affect your mood during the day. They're going to affect your night during the night, and to have a healthy day, you need to have a healthy night's sleep, so eat wisely before you go to bed. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's exactly right. We do, we do need a good night's sleep, and just always remember everything in moderation, so that's sort of the key to being healthy no matter what. Well, thank you, Heather, for all of these great tips. So stay right here with us because when we come back from break, we have author Stephen Yanoff with us. And he has the untold story of America's most bizarre political murder. And it is very bizarre. And I'm sure you don't know anything about it. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And you are listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, coming to you live on the Voice America Network. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 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 and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. BeTheStarYouAre.org Be the lucky star you are. 
Plug in your headphones and tune in to enlightening interviews with acclaimed authors and success experts as our Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, gabs with the gurus. Lend us your ears for the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, here's Cynthia Bryan. Find all you need in a light that shines. Well, I sure appreciate you staying with us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where we bring you the authors and experts who are the pioneers on the planet. I am your host and your guide on the side, and my name is Cynthia Bryan. Well, it may seem a stretch for an expert in the field of high-risk insurance to become an author of four mystery novels and a new nonfiction book. Stephen Yanoff is a prize-winning playwright, however, and has painstakingly chronicled a chilling tale of President Garfield's assassination with his newest book, The Second Morning, The Untold Story of America's Most Bizarre Political Murder. Welcome, Stephen, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be on your program. Well, I'm very excited to have you on. As you know, I was a history major, and I thoroughly enjoy everything about history. But when I read The Second Morning, it gave me such great insight into a president that I hardly knew, and not only hardly knew, but never really took the time to look into his life. But before we talk about your book, The Second Morning, The Untold Story of America's Most Bizarre Political Murder, why don't you give us a little bit of your backstory on how you went from being a top insurance company exec to a playwright to an author. That's quite a trip, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, it's a great trip, though. And you know what I like about it is that it's one of those trips that it gives everybody hope that, hey, I can, I can truly live my dreams. I can be who exactly. I want to be. And you're exactly right about that. And with mine, I was in high-risk insurance, like you say, in uh, New York City for 20 years. It was a family firm, and we handled some very bizarre and unusual insurance claims. So when I left the firm in the year 2000, um, I left with about 40 or 50 files of the most strange and bizarre and difficult claims that I was personally involved in or or had to uh, get involved in in some fashion. And I uh, started looking at them, and then I talked to a publisher, and the publisher said, are these true? And I said, yeah, believe it or not, that's why it's called high-risk insurance. And he said, well, have you ever thought about writing a book based around a specific claim, and then you could fill in the characters and change the names to protect the innocent and whatever. And so that's where the mystery uh, novels began. Each book in the series of mysteries that I write is based on an honest-to-goodness insurance claim that we handled in New York City. And then I kind of weave a story around it, but I, I stay true to the essentials of the claim because that's, that's important. But there's no insurancies because, you know, that would put people to sleep. So truthfully, the stories are so incredibly bizarre and dealing with the public in, in high-risk insurance is so unusual that you really don't have to make much up. Well, that's so exciting because basically by having that 20 years experience in this high-risk insurance with these bizarre stories, you were sort of handed your books on a platter. You just had to recreate them and make it flow on the page. Exactly. And, you know, they ring true because the dialogue, I've incorporated, frankly, a lot of people I worked with, changing names a bit. And uh, a lot of the dialogue is authentic. A lot of, of course, most of the claim is authentic. And, you know, people can kind of attach themselves to authenticity. And they say, wow, I, 
I knew somebody like that, or I remember insurance claim about this, or reading about that in the newspaper. A lot of these claims, almost 99% of them, frankly, were uh, major headline stories. That is, that's exciting. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Uh, a couple of those books, let's just give out the names, the Graceland Gang, The Pirate Path, Ransom on the Roan. And I love your, youth, your use of alliteration. In there, I'm I'm big on that, and I think that makes it exciting too. And uh, you know, so now we're going to get to the second morning, and this is a book of nonfiction, and it is this. You did a lot of research uh, in order to come up with the true story of what happened. And when you have uh, subtitled it, The Most Bizarre Political Murder, this is completely bizarre, completely bizarre. Because, first of all, it appears Garfield really did not intend to be president, but he was really a very good man uh, and not even, he didn't really even want to be a politician that much. He was just, he had a good reasoning and a good way with people, but this other guy Gateau, is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. The assassin. assassin. He is, uh, well, he he wasn't declared insane, but I don't know if it was ego or he's just living in an alter world, but his whole life revolved around a lie of how great he was. Well, (laughs) he he was, in fact, Cynthia, I'll be very honest with you. You know, in the research, I have 731 footnotes in the book. Because yes, there are so do. many startling claims and facts and statements, you really need to document where did you get this information that we've never heard of before. And every chapter has one or two, uh, my brother calls them factoids. I don't know if that's a real word or not, but things there is, that... Uh, but factoids, factoids actually means lies, and I think oh. that what you have is facts. Well, there you so go, see? Now I'm learning yeah, something. You're in notes. You're in notes. Uh, they're all based on facts. They're all, you know, exactly. you, have, you have chronicled where you got, used your resources. Well, I'll tell you a little secret. The reason I started writing the book is because 30 years ago, I walked into an antique shop, and a, and a lovely uh, elderly woman had 20 Garfield books that were published in 1880, the year he elect, was elected president. They president. were actually published at the time. So I said, I'd like to buy these books from you, thinking one day, if I ever write a story about President Garfield for some reason, it'd be great to have the immediate resource. You know, I didn't, not to get it from somebody, you know, who's filtering it or secondhand or thirdhand, but imagine getting information that was published at the time of his death. And so anyway, that's, that was the uh, impetus for writing the Garfield book for me, having actually 20 or 30 books published in 1880. And how was it for you to read those books? Were they written? Was it fascinating? What was the language challenging at all? You know, it wasn't. They wrote in beautiful, clear English. Uh, The writing is superb. Uh, The information. You know, every day I would read something. Go, this can't possibly be true because I've, you know, I I went to a very good school in New York and I went to college and I've never heard any of this. How could this possibly be true? So then you go from one book to the next to the next, and you know, it's a a culmination of facts. And then you look at your paper one day and you say, my goodness, nobody. Nobody has ever heard the true story of this assassination. And the assassin, like you pointed out, Charles Gateau, is the antithesis of James A. Garfield. 
Garfield was good and honest and decent, and poor Charles Gateau was criminally insane, and, and he was deviant, and he was evil, and he did some very strange things during his lifetime, and yet they were on the same track. And eventually, sadly, in 1880, their paths crossed. And he was, this Charles Gateau, this character, I mean, obviously, from everything that you wrote in your book, he had just a horrendous childhood yes, and a father did. who beat him and insulted him and was just horrid to him. And, of course, that would set any child on a path of, mm-hmm. uh, of a downward spiral. But he became, he was like a con man, living in one boarding house and he skipping, you was. know, just going, going, going. But, but all the time he was doing this, he had this elevated uh, experience about himself. I mean, he thought he was this amazing guy, and I, I couldn't help but wonder, did he really, really believe that he was in being empowered by the Almighty, by the deity that he, did. he was you being know, it's, called? It's a strange thing to think about, right, Cynthia? It's, it's, it's so that strange. There are people that truly believe they're imbued with some sort of you know, spiritual uh, orders from above to do basically a, the most horrendous thing you could think of, which is take another life, especially the, the life of the United States president. But yes, Garfield, uh, you know, he was good, and uh, Gateau was evil, and in those days, things were literally black and white in some situations. But Gateau was, you know, it should be pointed out for your listeners, was truly uh, a lunatic pretty much from his teenage years on. He had seven or eight direct family members who died unfortunately, in uh, asylums for the criminally insane or just, you know, sadly regularly in what they might call regular insanity in those days. Plus, his own mother uh, suffered from a horrendous postpartum experience, shaved her head with a dry razor blade, stayed in her room for six months, refused most food, refused to talk to her family, and she, too, perished in, in an asylum. So, you know... Hereditarily speaking, there's a strong case for hereditary mental illness in his family, which you know has to be kept in mind when you read about this morbid tale and morbid life of his. However, with that being said, I thought that when they were trying this case, and it took a long time to try mm-hmm. to try this case, the attorney uh, was amazing because he wanted to present the fact that. He was not insane, so that he could get be hung. Otherwise, if he was insane, he would he too would Gitto would end up going to an insane exactly. asylum. And well, so you're right. he was. It was rather brilliant the way he presented the case because the whole time, I just can't even imagine being Gitto's brother-in-law and trying to be the defense attorney and you know and having Gitto <laughs> object to everything and standing up and talking about how how you know God he was doing this in the mm-hmm. name of God and God had spoken to him <laughs> yeah, the was, most amazing it, it, thing it, is that during the trial which you're right was also almost it was just about the first time in American history that any defendant had the nerve to claim innocence by reason of insanity They had the McNaughton rule, which covered that area in England. But in America, almost never has a major case gone to trial where a defendant had the audacity to stand up before a jury and say, well, I'm I'm not guilty by reason of uh, insanity. And frankly, I shot the president, but the physicians were the ones that killed him because of their malpractice and their harsh treatment of the wound, etc., that, you know, you read about in the book. 
So there's, there's, there's nothing absolutely from birth to the day he was hanged. There was nothing normal about this man or his life. No, he was completely, he was an immoral man. I mean, he joined yes. that, that wild uh, religious sect. I mean, he was, it sounds like he was kind of a sexual deviate as well. He just had a lot of weird things going for him. We are speaking with Stephen Yanoff. He is the author of the new nonfiction book, The Second Morning, The Untold Story of America's Most Bizarre Political Murder. And it truly is a page turner. And the way that you've organized it, Stephen, I loved it because we get so much back history. We get uh, the information about the Civil War and and what Garfield had achieved from his young life and then working at the university. And I mean, he was always someone who seemed very astute, very caring, uh, very much the person who was a caretaker for others. And he never was one of these people that was with the stalwarts or trying to get, you know, trying to get money or anything for himself. He really cared about the common good. And it, and after reading the book, I just wonder why, as students, we haven't heard more about him. Is it because that's a do great you, question? Yeah, that, do you that's think that's a wonderful, be- insightful question, Cynthia? And you know what the re- answer is? <clears throat> Garfield only served. He was our twenty-four months, president, right? Four months, two hundred days. Yeah, from March fourth, eighteen eighty-one. And then he was shot on July 2nd, as you know. Yes. He, he lingered on his deathbed until September 19th, 1881. So since he had such a short window of opportunity to be president, he really didn't get to achieve some of the things that he would have certainly have achieved had he you know, gone out his term. And undoubtedly, he would have been elected for another term because, he, like you said, uh, he was very popular, very honest, a very moral man, very extremely intelligent. He could, when he was a college professor, he could write Latin with his left hand and Greek with his right hand simultaneously. Yeah, his, his educational background and what he could accomplish was really, truly incredible. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about something you just mentioned sure. that uh, about the physicians and how the whole malpractice thing because knowing, you know, coming from the 21st century and knowing what we know today about germs and washing your hands and wearing gloves mm-hmm. and all of these things. And in those days, the doctors didn't do any of that. In fact, you have a whole section in there about how the one, the one physician who was figuring out that maybe germs are caused by, you know, dirty hands or dirty clothing or whatever, you know, he was sort of poo-pooed by the general medical establishment. And these doctors were probing the wound, trying, instead of letting them heal, it, it seems to me that although the doctors weren't the ones that pulled the tr- trigger, they evidently contributed to Absolutely. his demise and his pain. And well, they, um, you know, from the initial shooting, as, as you know from reading the book, they would stick uh, an ungloved finger into the wound. And, yeah, and, and feel around. Yeah, and they kept reopening the wound. It would heal, and then they would stick their fingers in. And uh, of all people, uh, a young man named Dr. Lister pointed out to these uh, know-it-all physicians, look, gentlemen, you have germs. There are things called germs and bacteria, and, you know, we're just learning about this, but let me explain what you're doing. Now, of course, he went on 
to be Mr. Uh, Listerine. Listerine. <laughs> right. And then we have uh, Alexander Graham Bell came into the picture, as you know, to try to locate the ball, that, the bullet that was still in the president's back. That was, that was a very funny, I thought that was a rather comical. I mean, obviously he was trying to do his, you know, do something mm-hmm. positive, but it was, it was totally not successful. No, and he, and he too kept sticking a, uh, a 12-inch metal, basically a knife, a stiletto, into the president's back and allowing uh, openings to fill up with pus and bacteria and disease. And had the doctors left Garfield alone, the wound would have healed. He would have been um, probably a semi-invalid, um, you know, as far as walking. He would definitely had some trouble, but he definitely would have lived. But unfortunately, by treating him incorrectly, they uh, precipitated his early demise. Right, and also the fact that when they did the autopsy, that the the bullet, which is a ball, a lead ball, had already mm-hmm. been encapsulized. I mean, it was right. like it had already, the skin had already formed around it, a, a cyst had already formed around it. Exactly. So it sounds to me that he would have, just as you said, he probably would have survived, but we, they just didn't know in those days. And that, exactly. that gives you pause because it makes you wonder, looking at today's day, how much don't we know about something that might be as simple as washing your hands, wearing a mm-hmm. pair of gloves? It is just, true, right? It's amazing how the medical, uh, you wonder, what is it that we will find out? And, you know, we are finding out, as you know, uh, amazing things about treatment that we thought we knew everything about. But, you know, we're finding out that, uh, you know, health foods and, and eating well and all that contributes to a great life. And these gentlemen and ladies in this day and age, uh, they didn't live on any processed food, remember. You know, there was none of that available yet. So they had pretty strong constitutions, and they were pretty tough characters because, you know, they worked hard. Like and they worked hard and they walked a lot. I exactly. mean, they, didn't, they weren't they did. automobiles, you know, mm-hmm. so they were yep. definitely getting, even though they, they weren't going to gyms, they didn't need to. <laughs> and it was, was an agrarian society. And in, in, believe it or not, in American political history, James Garfield was considered one of the most athletic and strongest physical men that has ever occupied any political office in America. He was in amazing condition when he was shot. Otherwise, he probably, frankly, between you and I, would have died the first week. Well, you know, I thought interesting, it was the the one battle where he he just rode through the enemy lines until his horse literally dropped dead when he got Mm -hmm. through, and his, his mates were killed. I mean, this man was determined and he was he was so strong so i mean and there's example after example in your book uh, that showed his not only his physical strength but his moral strength and his mental strength as opposed to guiteau who just seemed like besides his madness he was just this ineffective person that didn't have a clue of how to survive in this world. I mean, the fact that he kept pestering Blaine and Garfield and anyone who could listen, first saying that he wanted a commission in Austria and then changing his mind and saying, no, I want to be a consul, a consul in Paris, as if he deserved it. Yeah. It was, it was uh, I, I, it makes you wonder how, uh, how politicians today, you know, what they have to go through with. There's probably as many crazies out there. But the difference is, 
wasn't this experience what determined that the president and many of the cabinet members needed to have some kind of security? Because in those days, the White House was open. People just came right well, on in. Believe it or not, Charles Gateau, the assassin, <clears throat> walked into the White House and perhaps over 20 times waiting for, to see the president. And on one occasion, they uh, escorted him into the Oval Office in a one-on-one, face-to-face meeting with President Garfield. Garfield looked up from his papers and said, Do I know you, sir? He was always a, a, a fine gentleman, very polite. Very gentleman, right. Very, very much so. And uh, Gateau said, My name is Charles Gateau, and like you mentioned previously, I like the ambassadorship to this office, or the, you know, I'd like to be foreign minister to this office. I helped you get elected. Garfield was a very tolerant man. He was a very decent, honest, you know, just just as perfect a specimen of a the American citizen as you could possibly get during that day and age. And he was he treated everybody cordially and with respect. And he actually entertained his own assassin for about twenty minutes, allowing him to say, God knows why. You know, we don't have any. Unfortunately, there's no records about specifically what they talked about. But you can imagine how that conversation went. Well, and didn't he, didn't Garfield actually introduce him to whoever it was that he was speaking with? And, you know, yes. so there was like this. And then, uh, and then what you wrote in the second morning, and again, for those of you just joining us, we are speaking with author Stephen Yanoff, and his new book is The Second Morning. It is the story of President Garfield's assassination, is that Gateau just sort of right in the middle of a sentence just turned around and walked out. He never even said goodbye or thank you. or okay. So he, he, just, he was, he was just, an odd, just... He was an odd bird. And you know, an by odd that bird. time, I think, um, you know, he had suffered from, unfortunately, gonorrhea, syphilis, and, of course, the hereditary mental illness in his family. By that time, he was barely able to have a two-minute conversation and be lucid. So uh, God only knows what he said to the president, but you're right. He just abruptly ended the conversation, walked out, and then spent the next couple of weeks stalking the president, waiting to shoot him in the back. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, I mean, uh, there was the one time he, he, he would wait on that bench across from the White House, and he mm-hmm. walked down the sidewalk, and just while he was going to shoot him, the president walked into Blaine's uh, uh, dwelling, I right. believe it was, and... Oh, he then he was upset. He lost his moment. But let's, I wanted to uh, talk about one other thing because you actually started the book off like this and then the prophecy was actually came true. Mm-hmm. Is uh, Garfield, his whole life felt that his demise would either be when he was going on a trip with his family. He, he saw it, he, he felt it was going to happen. And yeah. he always, and it actually happened that way. He was going to take a short vacation on the train with his children and his wife, and he was killed. Do you have any uh, anything more about that? Uh, he had like a premonition about it. Well, he was a very devout Christian, Garfield, but oddly enough, there was a small side of him that believed in, I don't know if I would call it the... Uh, uh, the dark sciences or something odd the like occult. that, but <laughs> prophecy, you know, uh, right. I don't even know, frankly, what that's called, but whatever it is, uh, he, he really honestly believed in prophecy, and he was so adept at it that he even predicted the specific day that he would die, which is the day he died, which is 
almost hard to imagine, but he not only saw the future in the sense, so to speak, of how he would die violently, going on a vacation, being with his family, and he even predicted that it would involve a railroad. But he also told one of his general's um, colleagues that this will be the day, September, September 19th, this will be the day that I will breathe my last breath on earth. I'm not sure why, I'm not sure how, but that's the way it's written for me. And but wasn't that the day of, of the, his kind of greatest glory? I'm not exactly. sure how many years before. Precisely. You know, he was such an incredible man. He was, the, he was a, a hero during the Civil War. He fought at Shiloh and Chickamauga. And yeah, he, during one of his great military victories, happened on the September 19th. And that was, by coincidence, the very general he spoke to during the war and told this to, and then 20 years goes by, and, you know, they meet again, and he, he repeats the same prediction. And incredibly, it comes true. It comes true. Well, this is an amazing book, Stephen. You've just done a brilliant job. The name of the book is The Second Morning, The Untold Story of America's Most Bizarre Political Murder. And you can follow Stephen's blog. Go to his website, Stephen G. Yanoff.com. And make sure you put that G between Stephen and Yanoff. So right. Stephen W-W-W- G. Yanoff. Stephen G. Yanoff.com. Yes. Right. And you spell Yanoff, Y-A-N-O-F-F. And Stephen has a P-H in it. So Stephen G. Yanoff.com. Well, this has just been a pleasure. And I, I enjoyed the second morning so much. And you're very adept at writing nonfiction. So I, I do hope that you have something else coming out soon. I do. I'm working on it. And Cynthia, I would also like to compliment you for your wonderful work. I love your program. And you are just like our many presidents, a first class operation. Oh, well, thank you. You've made my day. Thank you so much. This is Stephen Yanoff, The Second Morning, The Untold Story of America's Most Bizarre Political Murder. Again, go to the website, stephengyanoff.com, and you can buy copies of the book online or ask for it at any of your favorite retail store. You will love it. And It'll change history for you. You'll look at history in a different way. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me here on it's Star been an Style. Honor. Thank it's you, It's been an honor as well, and I hope you'll come back with your next book. Anytime. Thank you so much. Well, when we come back from break, we will be discussing how to deal with the body language of disengagement. I am Cynthia Bryan. You are listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. Don't go away. I'll be back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Have you lost a business opportunity because you didn't know if you were being persistent or a pest? Well, everyone struggles with the fine line. Here are some steps you can take with the goal of getting a response from clients or customers. First, Identify if the prospect is assertive or passive. If assertive, you have permission to call more often with no more than three calls in a week. 
But if passive, plan on only one to three messages per month. Use the one-two method to gain attention. Call and then email. For voicemail, leave succinct, clear messages no longer than 15 seconds with a call to action. You can get your name and your phone number and the reason you're calling in those 15 sections. For email, keep your sentences short and the message brief. Most people are reading their messages on their mobile device. And with these simple strategies, you'll be able to get through to the people who you want in your universe. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. To book a coaching or a consultation session, call 925-377-STAR. That's 925-377-7827 or visit star-style.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Be the star you are. You are the star. Pump up your energy and jumpstart your dreams with positive, life-changing interviews and star-studded conversations on our award-winning program, Star Style. Be the star you are. Hosted by the passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. Find all you need in a life. Well, thanks so much for being here in our power party. We always have good, good things for you and great advice and wonderful authors. Has this ever happened to you? You're in a meeting. It's going well. You can tell because of the positive body language that your colleague has been showing you. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're not sure what, but everything changes. In business, communication, engagement, and disengagement are the most important signals to monitor another person's body language. Now, engagement behaviors indicate interest, receptivity, or perhaps agreement, but disengagement signals that a person is bored, angry, or maybe even getting defensive. So when someone is disengaged, the amount of eye contact decreases as we tend to look away from things that distress us and we don't want to look at people that we don't like. And similarly, a colleague who is bored or restless may avoid eye contact and they'll gaze past you. They'll defocus or they might glance around the room. So instead of opening wide eyes, that signal disengagement will will narrow a bit. And in fact, eye squints can be observed as people read contracts or proposals. And when they occur, it is almost always a sign of having seen something troubling or problematic. So be aware. Now, disagreement also shows up in compressed or pursed lips. So if you, you know, if somebody is clenching their jaw or their head is turning slightly away, that means that their eye contact is becoming sidelong. And when you see people turn their shoulders or torsos away from you, you probably have lost their interest. And in fact, orienting away from someone in this manner almost always conveys detachment or disengagement regardless of what they're saying. So when people are engaged, they're going to face you directly. They're going to point at you with their their bodies. However, the instant that they feel uncomfortable, they're going to turn away. 
they're going to give you that, what we call the cold shoulder. And if someone is feeling defensive, you may see an attempt to shield the torso. They might put a purse or a briefcase, a laptop, cross their legs, cross their arms. If someone's sitting with their ankles crossed and their legs stretched forward, they're probably feeling pretty positive. But when you see their feet pulled away from you and they're wrapped in a tight ankle lock or they're pointed at the exit or maybe they're even wrapped around the legs of a chair, you should be wise to suspect that they are starting to withdraw and disengage. So how do you get them back on track when you notice something like that? First of all, think about the context in which the disengagement is occurring. Did you alter your body language? Did you ask a question or touch on a particular issue, kind of a hot spot? Did someone else enter the room or join the conversation? Check your body position. Are you exhibiting any closed or disengaged behaviors that this person may be reading to or unconsciously mimicking? You know, we call this this near imaging. Change your body posture to one of increased engagement and see if the person will follow suit. What you want to do is lean forward, smile, put your hands on the table, put your palms up, make them move. For example, If the person's arms and legs are tightly crossed, which is a combination that almost always uh, signals disengagement, lean forward and hand something over to them, a brochure, a report, a glass of water, a cup of coffee. That gets them moving. Change your pitch. Consider that the substance of what you are proposing perhaps isn't being well received and that now might be the time for plan B. So switch gears. And then bring the disengagement behavior to the person's attention. You can always say something like this. It looks as as if this might be a bad time for us to talk. Or you could say, would you prefer to postpone this meeting until another time? Or how would you like to go about discussing this? What was in your agenda? So whatever you do, consider your body language. You know, there's a study called neurolinguistic programming, and it really helps to study a little bit of how to meet with people because it turns out that your business does depend on it. Well, thanks for being great listeners and allowing Heather and I into your life every week. Make sure you are always tuned in to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. That is 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern. And we want to bring you the authors, the experts, and be your personal growth success coaches, as well as help you stay healthy because health does matter. You can change your life and you can make your dreams come true. For more information about Star Style Productions or to purchase any of my books, please visit star-style.com. Or you can go to our radio site, starstyleradio.com, and click on the store. Consider making a donation to Be The Star You Are charity that brings you this show and our teen show, Express Yourself. Visit bethestarur.org or btsya.org. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. So see beyond your physical being. And know you are already the star you dreamed of becoming. Cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. And read a book. 
this week because a book is like a garden in your pocket. And I highly suggest that you pick up a copy of Stephen Yanov's book, The Second Morning, The Untold Story of America's Most Bizarre Political Murder. You will be entranced. You can go to stephengyanoff.com. And until we celebrate next week, remember, love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you to be the star you are. Have a wonderful week. Dream, create, inspire, make a difference. We'll talk next week. Be the star you are. You are the star. Be keep caring. Keep caring. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style. Be the star you are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to www.bethestarur.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are. You are.